Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're in a series going through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, the first 11 chapters of the Bible, and we're entitling the series Beginnings, because in this first opening section of Scripture, uh, it's not just the beginning in terms of page count, uh, we have foundational truths in here, uh, and we have the beginning of everything that we know. We have the beginning of the heavens and the earth. We have the beginning of light and darkness, the beginning of day and night, the beginning of sea and sky, the beginning of dry ground and the difference between dry ground and the sea, the beginning of vegetation and fish and birds and land animals. And today, we are looking at the beginning of man, the beginning of mankind. Last week, we looked at... uh, this sixth day of creation, the creation of man, and saw how we all, all human beings, are created with value. Every human life has dignity and worth and honor because we have been created in the image of God. And we're going to look at a different perspective on what it means that we were made in the image of God this morning as we consider Genesis 1. And we're going to start reading In verse 26, so would you read with me the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. So for several years, I worked at Chick-fil-A. Some of y'all already knew that. Uh, Others of you may not be surprised by that. I don't know. It was my pleasure to work at Chick-fil-A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you've been to Chick-fil-A, you know that the experience you get there is just light years ahead of any other experience you get at any other fast food restaurant. And I know I'm biased, but if you've been there, you know. 
And if you ever considered why, why is it that it's just so, it's just so much better from the food to the customer service, everything is so much better? Well, one of the reasons, uh, and I can, I can tell you having, having been an employee for a, a short amount of time, uh, one of the reasons why the experience is so good is because the leadership of Chick-fil-A is constantly reminding the employees of their purpose. I was, as an employee, constantly reminded of what I was there to do, why I was there, who I was there to serve. And so one of the ways that they would continually do this, keep our purpose in our mind, is by these little phrases. Uh, So for instance, um, we were always reminded to uh, give second mile service. So you might be familiar with Jesus' story in the Sermon on the Mount. If uh, you're asked to go one mile, go two uh, so I might be tempted as an employee to just, uh, you know, I don't know, just kind of do the bare minimum. But I would have a manager in my ear who, who would always be reminding me, second mile service. And so I was always constantly reminded of this. So I wouldn't just kind of, you know, do what was expected. No, I was going to go the extra mile. I was going to do a second mile service to provide this great customer service experience. Another of those phrases that they were constantly bringing to mind uh, was we want to make raving fans. So I might be tempted to be satisfied with just, you know, a satisfied customer, someone whose expectations were met. But they were always reminding us, no, we're not just trying to meet expectations. We're trying to create such a great experience for these people that we want to make them raving fans. We want them to have such a great experience that they go and tell everyone they know about how great it was at Chick-fil-A. We were constantly being reminded of our purpose. The leadership was, was, was relentless in that, in a good way. They were relentless in that. And they were doing that because they knew we would forget. <laughs> they were reminding us because they knew that we forgot. It wasn't enough to just start at orientation and say, okay, here's your purpose, here's our goal, here's our values. Now, go. We'll never talk to you again. No. They were constantly keeping us, our purpose before us, because we knew, or they knew, that we would be forgetting it. Well, as important as it is for an employee as at a fast food restaurant to remember his or her purpose, how much more important is it for us to be reminded of our purpose, not just as employees, not even just as a father or mother or child, not as a citizen or husband or a wife, but as human beings at the most fundamental level, how much more important it is for us to be reminded of our purpose, because just like I was tempted to forget my purpose and kind of just do whatever I wanted to do. We all, as humans, are tempted to forget our purpose. Why we exist. Who we are. Why God made us. Why we are here. And as we come back to the beginning, the beginning of man, that moment when God first breathed life into the first human being. It's as if we're going back to to new human orientation, where God establishes, here is the purpose. Here is why I made you. Here is why you exist. This is the purpose for which you exist. 
what is supposed to guide you in your life, what is supposed to guide you as a person, what is supposed to guide your decision-making, what is supposed to guide your families, what is, supposed to gu- what is supposed to guide every aspect of your life. And as we come to this moment of creation where God says, here is the purpose of human beings, what we find is that we were created to reflect God. We were created to reflect God. Look at verse 26 with me again. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God, as he comes to the creation of man, makes man in a way that he hasn't made anything else. He makes humans unique. He makes them in his image. To be made in the image of God, to be given that as our identity, as our purpose, it means that we were made to reflect God's glory. We were made to look like God. We were made to be like God. We were made to be like mirrors showing off the glory of God, reflecting who he is, what he's like, what he loves. We were made to be like the moon to the sun. I think I said that last week. We were made to be like the moon is to the sun, not having light in and of itself, but reflecting the light of the glory of God. We were made in such a way you were supposed to be able to look at human beings and see, oh, that's what God is like. That's who he is. That's his character. That's his heart. That's what he loves. That's what he's about. Last week we saw, as I said, that God has stamped all of us with value and dignity by nature of the fact that we are his image bearers. There's a way that we reflect God, that we show what God is like, just by the fact that we're human. By the fact that we have a will and that we have a mind and a conscience. And there are aspects about our being that, have, that show what God is like uh, just by being human. And nothing can take that away. But today we're looking at a, at a different aspect of what it means that we were created in the image of God. We don't just reflect God in a passive way. We also have a responsibility to reflect God. It's our purpose. And we were responsible to live this way. God intended for us to reflect him on purpose. Because this is our purpose. We were created to reflect God. Our reflecting God begins with our relationship with God. And that makes sense, I hope. After all, if you're trying to, if you want something to look like something else, the relationship between those two things is really important. If I was creating a statue that was supposed to look like someone, it's really, really important that I become very, very familiar with the person that I'm trying to make the statue after. If the statue is going to be in that person's image, 
that I really need to be familiar with that person. And likewise, God giving us the role of his image bearers. The fact that we were created with the purpose of reflecting God first tells us about the relationship we are supposed to have with God. We're supposed to know him so that we can be like him. Uh, Flip over with me to chapter 5 of Genesis. We get a key insight in this chapter of what God had in mind when he said that we were made in his image and after his likeness. And particularly, we get an insight into exactly what kind of relationship we were intended to have with God when God says, I have created you in my image and after my likeness. Look at the first three verses of Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. After his image and named him Seth. Just like God had created man in his image, Adam has a son, and the Bible says that the son was after his image. Just like God had created man after his own likeness, so Adam has a son here who is in his own likeness. Reflecting God begins with our relationship to God, and what we need to see is the kind of relationship that we're supposed to have with this God It's like a relationship of a son to his father. You're supposed to relate to God. Have a father-son relationship with God. It's part of what it means. Part of what this idea of being an image bearer, carrying the likeness of God, has this idea of sonship in Scripture. Now, as I say son, and as I say sonship, women don't feel left out. As we can see in verse 27, this is not something that is gender-specific. No, men and women are equally given this status as being sons of the Father. Look at verse 27. God created man, mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Men and women are equal in their value as God's image bearers, and they're equal in their status as image bearers. We are equally given this relationship, this significant, intimate, powerful relationship, this father-son relationship with God. What this means is we, we were meant to know God. We were meant to experience his love and to love him. And it means we're supposed to imitate him like a son imitates his father. We're supposed to be imitators of God as beloved children, to use Paul's language. We're supposed to look righteous as he is righteous. We're supposed to be holy like he is holy. We're supposed to want to be like our dad. Love what he loves. Love like he loves. God created us to reflect him out of the overflow of a relationship with him where we know him, we know his heart, and then we reflect that. We imitate him in our relationships, in our work, 
in every aspect of our life. We are to reflect God as we imitate our beloved Father. That's how God created us. It's the purpose for which he created us. There's another aspect of this. We not only see in the fact that God created us in his image, not only do we see our relationship with God, but also our relationship with creation. And that relationship looks like building God's kingdom. We saw in verse 26 a moment ago that God created man in his image so that he could take dominion over the earth. The status as God's son, the status as God's image bearer comes with authority. It's not our own authority. It's not mine. It's an extension of God's authority. Uh, You might be familiar with the story of Joseph at the end of Genesis. Uh, Through a lot of highs and lows, ultimately God prospers Joseph's life in such a way where he actually becomes the second in command of the entire uh, Egyptian empire. But he, he, he rules and he has authority over all of Egypt, but it's not his authority. He is a minister of Pharaoh's authority. Pharaoh is the one who is the king of Egypt. Pharaoh is the one who actually has sovereignty, who actually has dominion. But Joseph has such a close relationship with Pharaoh, he is given in his role, in his status as the the prime minister of Egypt, the authority over the entire nation. He is a steward of what rightfully belongs to Pharaoh. He is entrusted with that authority. Well, that role of stewardship, that role of extending authority is the same kind of role that you and I were given as God's image bearers. The dominion that God says that we are to exercise, the authority that we are to have as we subdue the earth, that is God's authority that he exercises through us. We are stewards of his authority, stewards of what belongs to him in this earth. All things, all things that we have authority over, all things that we are to manage, all things that we are to steward, every part of our life is from him and for him. Look at verses 28 to 30. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Everything that we find on earth, from animals to natural resources, everything on our, our planet belongs to God, but he has given it to us to steward for his glory. We are to know him, have a relationship with him, know his priorities, know his values, know his love, and then rule over all aspects of our life, everything that we have, everything that he has entrusted to us, the way that he would want to rule for his glory to build his kingdom, to extend his domain, to extend his authority for his glory. This is part of what it means to reflect God. We are to rule like God rules. We are to lead like God leads, manage like God would manage. 
But not only that, not only are we to be stewards building his kingdom, uh, you might have noticed there's also this command to be fruitful and multiply. We're not just stewards, we're also multipliers. God created us in his image and intends for us to multiply image bearers. He tells uh, the, the first man and woman that they are to be fruitful and multiply so that more and more the earth would be filled with image bearers. More and more the earth would be filled with people reflecting the glory of God, showing what God is like and building his kingdom on earth. One of the unique things here that we see is that we, in our responsibility as image bearers, reflect what we see God doing in this first chapter of Genesis. In this first chapter of Genesis, in verse 2, we see that as God creates the world, he creates it beginning as without form and void, or unformed and unfilled. And he takes that unformed, unfilled world, and he forms it, and he fills it. Well, as those who reflect our creator, that's essentially what he has given us to do, to form and to fill. Form in the sense of ruling, extending his, uh, his authority, his dominion. We are to build his kingdom, bring order to the earth, rule over all creation. And then we are to fill the earth with image bearers, multiply and be fruitful and fill the earth, he tells us. We were created to reflect God. As God looks at his creation, everything that he has made, including his image bearers, who he gave his authority, who he gave to rule, who he gave to be stewards of his creation, who he gave to be multipliers of image bearers. In verse 31, he sees all of this and he evaluates it. Look what he says. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is God's good design. A world that he has created for his glory and his image bearers. Humans, you and I, extending his authority, building his kingdom, reflecting who he is, out of the overflow of knowing him, loving him, as a son and a father know each other and love each other. We are to imitate our God. This is the purpose for which God made us. But we fail to reflect God. We fail to reflect God. See, we were, we were made to be like him. That's what we have seen already. We were made to be like God. But what we see in just a couple of chapters is that there is a wrong way to want to be like God. In the first temptation of man and woman, as the serpent comes to Adam and Eve, he tempts them with a number of things, but one of the things that he tempts them with is the promise of you can be like God. In that sense, it's a sinful temptation to be like God. Well, okay, so we're supposed to be like God, but then there's a wrong way to be like God, so how do we keep it straight? How do we figure out what is the right way to be like God? What is the wrong way to be like God? 
people, even as we recognize that we're meant to be like God. That is our purpose. We have to realize that there is always a right and good difference between who God is and who we are. He is unique. He is the creator. We are creatures. He is uncreated. We are created. And as such, he holds a unique place, a unique status that we are never to have. See, he is the source of glory, and we are to be glory reflectors. He is the glorious one, and we are to be like him by reflecting who he is, not by trying to take his place. But the temptation that Adam and Eve fell into, the temptation that you and I fall into every day, is to not be glory reflectors. To be unsatisfied with that role. To be unsatisfied with merely resembling God and looking like God. No, we want to be the source of glory. We want to be the glorious ones. We want to be the ones whose glory is filling the earth. Of course, because we abandon our role, because we sinned against God, rejected him, and because we try to take his place as the source of glory, the glorious one, that relationship with God was broken. As a consequence of our sin, that relationship with God that he made us to have, a father-son relationship, knowing, loving, imitating, it's been broken. And so now, on our own, we don't know this God. And we don't imitate this God. Where we were supposed to reflect God in righteousness, now we are unrighteous. Where we were supposed to reflect God in holiness, now we are unholy. Where we were supposed to be imitators of God, now we are trying to put our own image on things. We're trying to be spreading our fallen, quote-unquote, glory. And so the image of God in us has been marred. Now when you look at fallen humans, sinful humans who've rejected God, you don't look and see what God is like. No, you see the opposite of what God is like. You see unrighteousness. You see unholiness. You see the image of God has been marred. And even though God created us to be builders of his kingdom, extending his authority, we don't want to be building his kingdom. We want to be owners, not stewards. We want to build our own kingdom, our own glory. We want to have our own authority. We've rejected our role as stewards but we've also, we also have corruption in the role of multipliers. We were made to be fruitful and multiply, to multiply image bearers, so that more and more the earth would be filled with people reflecting God's glory. But now, because of our sinful nature, as we multiply, we're multiplying not people bearing the image of God perfectly, but we're multiplying people who bear the image of sinful Adam. We're multiplying people who want their own glory, who are glory hogs. We're multiplying people who, are, have a broke, who don't have a relationship with God, who don't want to be stewards of his kingdom. We're multiplying sinners. And as we see starting in chapter 3 of Genesis and then continuing on and on and on, as multiplication of humans happens, what happens is not God's glory spreading. What happens is chaos spreading, evil spreading throughout the world. And so the world is not filled more and more with God's glory. No, as sinners multiply, the world is filled more and more with brokenness. Sin. 
fallenness. And it gets so bad that God, as we will see in a few weeks in Genesis uh, chapters um, 8 and 9, he destroys humanity. It's gotten so evil, so bad, he destroys the world except for one family. This understanding of what our purpose is and how we don't live up to it is critical to understand as humans. It was critical for the first recipients of Genesis to hear. Because God created Israel to reflect him. The the original recipients of Genesis were the nation of Israel wandering in the wilderness. They had been freed from slavery. They were going into the promised land. They were wandering in the wilderness, and God gave them this word. And they needed to know what, they needed to go back to orientation and remember their purpose as human beings. And they needed to see just how far short they fell from their original purpose. Because what God was trying to do in Israel was restore humanity to their purpose. God had a plan to restore fallen humanity And the first step in that process began with Abraham. As we see in Genesis chapter 12, God intended for all the families of the earth to be blessed through Abraham and his family. God was in process, restoring humanity to what he always intended for them to be. So as Israel receives this, they are reminded of what God is trying to bring them back to. To be reminded that they were created to reflect God. And that God is on a mission to restore the image of God in people that he is redeeming. And so he brings them into a special relationship with with him. In Exodus 19, as God is uh, giving, about to make this covenant with Israel, bring them into this special relationship. He reminds them, I freed you out of Egypt to myself. He's restoring the relationship that was broken. The relationship that he always intended to have with his image bearers. In Exodus 4 and verse 22, he even calls Israel his son. He's restoring the father-son relationship that he always intended to have with his people. They are to be imitators of him. He'll say in Leviticus, be holy as I am holy. He's restoring that relationship that he always intended for them. And he intends for them to be about building his kingdom, just like image bearers were always meant to be. In Exodus 19, again, as God is making this new relationship with Israel, he calls them, he gives them their purpose to be his kingdom, to extend his reign, to extend his dominion. And they were to multiply. You might be familiar with the promise that God made to Abraham that his offspring would be like the stars in the heavens. He intended for for this nation to multiply so that more and more his glory would fill the earth. But of course, Israel too failed. Adam and Eve failed. Israel failed. But God did not fail. Even though the first Adam did not reflect God in the way that God intended. Even though Israel did not reflect God in the way that God intended. God sent 
the second Adam. God sent the true Israel. What we need to understand is that Jesus is the perfect reflector of God. Where every human being before him had failed, Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, showed us what it means to be truly human. No one before him, no one since has ever demonstrated what it looks like to be truly human as Jesus showed us what it means to be truly human, to truly reflect God's glory in the way that he always intended for humanity to reflect him. In Hebrews 1 and verse 3, Jesus is described as the radiance of the glory of God. He is the perfect reflector of God's image that we never could be. The author of Hebrews goes on to say that Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. He is the image bearer that we never could be. And it starts, just as it was always meant to start, with a perfect relationship with the Father. The perfect Father-Son relationship. A perfect relationship that existed for all of eternity, in glory and in love, as Jesus tells us in John 17. For all of eternity, the Son has perfectly reflected the Father. It was a relationship where Jesus imitated his Father. In John chapter 5, as Jesus is in his earthly ministry, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus, the image of the invisible God, as we read earlier, had the perfect relationship with his Father, the perfect intimacy, and the perfect imitation. He perfectly showed what God was like. And not only that, he perfectly builds his kingdom. He perfectly exercises the dominion that humanity was always meant to have. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1? We read this passage uh, earlier in our worship service. I want you to see the connection between Jesus, the image of God, and the dominion that he has because he alone is the perfect reflector of God that we never could be. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus, the perfect reflector of the image of God, the image of the invisible God, exercises perfect 
dominion. All things were created for him and through him. He is over all things. And the good news for us is that not only does Jesus perfectly reflect God, not only does Jesus perfectly build God's kingdom and exercise dominion, he is also perfect in multiplying image bearers. Look at Romans chapter 8. Would you turn with me there? Romans chapter 8. We're told in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Well, what good? What is the good that all things are working together for? What is God up to in the people that love him? What is it that is the great problem that needs to be solved in in people? What is it that God is doing in redeeming people? Well, look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It is good news for us that Jesus came to be the image of the invisible God. The truly human person that none of us could have ever been. Because in Jesus, the image of God can be multiplied in us. We can be restored to the purpose that God created us for. We can be in Christ reflectors of God's glory like we were always meant to be. In Christ, we are becoming reflectors. Because this fully God, fully man, the image of the invisible God came, and not only did he show the world what God is really like, not only was he the perfect reflector of God, he also came and he died and he rose again. And because he died, he gives us hope that that image of Adam, the image of the man of dust, the sinful nature that we all have, can be crucified with him. And because he rose, he gives us hope that if we trust in him, we can be raised with a new self, which Ephesians says is created after the likeness of God in true holiness and righteousness. Because Jesus died and rose again, if we trust in him, we can become reflectors of God. And it begins by the fact that he restores the relationship with God that we were always intended to have. In Ephesians 1 and verse 5, Paul tells us that in Christ, if we have trusted in Christ, we have been adopted as sons. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. God has reconciled us to himself in Christ so that we can have the perfect relationship with him that we are always intended to have. And he is restoring in us the image of God. We can, in Christ, be the imitators that we were always supposed to be, the imitators of our Father. 
Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In Christ, we can be restored. We can be conformed to His image. We can be conformed to the image of God. And what Paul tells us in this passage is that the way that that happens is by looking to Jesus. Looking to the image of the invisible God. The perfect reflector of who God is like. And the more that we look at him, the more that we see him, the more that we become familiar with who he is, what he loves, how he loves, the more he transforms us into his image. The more we behold the more we become. The more we behold Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. So if we are to become reflectors, if we are to grow in restoring our purpose as humans, if we are to be what God wants us to be, what we need to do is look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and who he is, what he's done, what he loves, how he loves, to continually look to Jesus. He has restored us to that relationship with God that we were always meant to have. He also, in Christ, is creating a way for us to yet again be about building his kingdom. As God is restoring us to the purpose that he has for humanity, God is restoring us to the purpose of building his kingdom. In Christ, we need to recognize that God has given us the purpose of being stewards. Just like from the beginning of creation, what God has made, what God has given us, what God has entrusted to us, it's, it doesn't belong to us. We're not supposed to have our own authority or build our own kingdom or be owners. No, we are to be stewards, managers. All things are from him and for him. And in Christ, we can be restored to this purpose. In Christ, we recognize that our calendar is not our own. We are stewards, and we are to reflect God in our calendar. Our wallet is not our own. He, he has given us the privilege, the honor of managing what belongs to him for his glory. We are to reflect God, imitate him, look to Jesus, and look like Jesus in what we choose to do with our time, what we spend our money on. Our career is not our own. It belongs to him. We are to reflect him in that. We are to look like Jesus in our career, in our job, in our choices. It all belongs to him. And he has given us the privilege of reflecting him in these things that he has given us to manage. In Christ, the relationship is restored. In Christ, our stewardship is being restored. And also our role as multipliers is being restored. As I said, in the fall, as we are fruitful and multiply, we multiply people with sinful nature. We multiply people who, um, who, who do not perfectly reflect the glory of God. But in Christ, we multiply image bearers through evangelism. As we share the gospel, as we make disciples, 
as we are his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the utmost parts of the world. We are multiplying image bearers. God is giving us the privilege of being his reflectors, being his image bearers, being his multipliers that we are always meant to be. He's restoring our purpose of multiplying image bearers as he builds his kingdom on earth. As we recognize that God is fulfilling this purpose in Christ, restoring us to the purpose that he always had for us, we do recognize right now it's a process. We are becoming like Jesus, but we struggle. He has made us sons of the Father, uh, but we don't always imitate our Father. There are highs and lows. There are days that we look more like Jesus than others. But our hope is that one day in Christ, we will reflect God perfectly. As we read from 1 Corinthians fifteen forty nine, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That purpose that God is working in Christ to conform us to the image of his son will be fulfilled. It will be completed. Everyone in Christ will be made perfectly like Jesus. And it all flows from the relationship that God has brought us into. Would you turn one last place to 1 John chapter 3? Read with me, starting in verse 1 of 1 John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, now listen to this. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We were created to reflect God. But we all know that we don't. We don't look like God. We don't fulfill the purpose that God created us for. But the good news of Scripture is that in Christ, we can be restored to the purpose that God made us for. We can be conformed to the image of his Son through faith in Jesus. Not by trying harder, not by working more, not by our own efforts, but by looking to Jesus. We will be like him because we will see him as he is. 
We look forward to the day that we will be like Jesus. We look forward to the day of experiencing perfect intimacy with the Father like we were always intended to have. We look forward to the day when multiplication is over because the earth is full of his glory as the waters cover the sea. And we look forward to the day that as his image bearers in perfect relationship with God, we will reign on the earth. Just listen to Revelation chapter 22 and we'll end with this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name, will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. As we long for that day, may our eyes be fixed on Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Let's pray together. Father, you created us to reflect your glory. You created us to know you and to look like you. To know you and to live like you. To know you and to rule like you. To know you in in every aspect of our life. To extend your kingdom, your authority. To make you seem as glorious. And Lord, we confess that we can't do it on our own. We have fallen so far short of your purpose for us, so far short of your glory, what you intended. But Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we can look to him and see exactly what you were like. We can look to Jesus and we can be transformed. The old man can be crucified. The new self can be resurrected. So, Lord, as we anticipate that day that we are made like Jesus once and for all, Lord, would you fix our eyes on Jesus today? We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.